How's working from home and going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. Hi, I'm Keith Law, and welcome to episode 12 of The Keith Law Show. I will be joined in today's show by San Francisco Chronicle writer John Shea to talk about his new book, 24, co-authored with Willie Mays. First, a little administrative stuff. Uh, I actually have had a couple of pieces up on The Athletic in the last week, three, I think, since my last podcast, uh, including a piece just the other day responding to the news that Major League Baseball will only have a five-round draft this year and will sharply curtail teams' ability to sign players as free agents if they're undrafted, which I think is generally a negative for the sport itself and obviously for specific players. But I do find some silver linings. You can find that piece up uh, that just went up over the weekend. Coming up this week, I will have a mock draft. We're currently targeting that for Wednesday, my first attempt to predict the first round picks. There are 29 selections in the first round this year, so I will try to predict those. I will freely admit this is a year when I know less than I typically do because we haven't been out seeing players. So trying to get a sense of which teams are on which players has proven uh, more difficult, not just for me, but for the people I'm talking to within front offices. But that said, I can't wait forever. Um, I like procrastinating. I seem to be quite good at it. But eventually there's a limit, and we are just a little over four weeks from draft day. So I will start writing quite a bit more about that uh, this week with the first mock draft and then the coming weeks writing some uh, short scouting capsules on a number of the players just so we can all get more familiar with the draft class. I'd also like to remind everyone that my book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves came out on April 21st from HarperCollins. You can buy it anywhere. If you don't have a local bookstore you're supporting right now, I recommend bookshop.org, which is a great site that allows you to support independent bookstores and still get your book in a pretty timely fashion. I have sent lots of readers there for my own book and for other books. And because I have an affiliate account with them, when you click through any of my links on social media to buy from bookshop.org, I get a little commission. I have been donating those to the Food Bank of Delaware, which is my favorite local charity. If you're enjoying the Keith Law Show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, multiple other podcast platforms. If this platform you use allows you to, please leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. And feel free to share any of these podcasts with a friend. Now it's my pleasure to be joined by John Shea. He is the national baseball writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. And he has a new book coming out on May 12th, co-written with Willie Mays called 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. I have uh, read this book. I don't remember Willie Mays playing, but of course, I've heard a lot of stories from my parents. So I was fascinated to get more sort of inside the the history and, and mind of Mays himself. And John, uh, I think you've done an excellent job of, of doing that. So first, thanks for joining me. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. Uh, thanks, Keith. I'm thrilled. So the biggest question I had it, while reading the book, it is remarkable. I've read a few biographies of, of ball players, especially some of his contemporaries. Mickey Mantle's life was obviously full of controversy. Joe DiMaggio, 
larger than life, you know, dating a Hollywood superstar. Willie Mays was kind of boring by comparison, and no <laughs> one has a bad word to say about him, with with one or two exceptions we'll talk about. Like, it just seems like every, all everyone does with Mays is praises him. What was it like to try to write a st- you know the life story of someone where he's just kind of good, a good person, great ball player? No one really had anything negative or even remotely controversial, it seems like, to say about Willie Mays. You're right. That's a fascinating point because he obviously played across the river from Mickey Mantle, who went out every night and drank and womanized and and caroused and maybe was hung over the next day. And, you know, unfortunately, his his career and life were probably shortened because of all that. Mm-hmm. And now you have Mays, who, whose durability and longevity was unparalleled. And it seems from what everything, you know, everything I hear and everything uh, he says and other people say about him, he, he it was a, quite an exemplary life and career. Uh, you know, he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he didn't ever get ejected from a baseball game. And from from what I know and gather, he never even uh, charged the mound. I mean, everybody tried to knock him down. You, you see old replays of of Drysdale. And, and what did Mays do? He didn't walk around in circle and pout and point and, and, and all that stuff you see today. He quickly got back in the box and was already in a stance. He says, okay, come, come and get me. And then often... Yeah. I would like to I would like to see the statistics of all the times he got knocked down to see how, mm-hmm. how well he did because the way he talks it's I bet it's pretty good. Uh you know he tried to drill a line drive up the middle or you know and often you know people told me I, every time he did that you know he he'd hit a home run you know just legendary stuff. But yeah there's uh it is it is hard to write up you know after I write you know read you know all these great books about the babe or even Joe D or 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 Mickey um, there was always something there, you know, a few chapters on what went wrong, you know, the, the, the paths they took that maybe they shouldn't have, but you don't get that, you know, so much with Mays. And, you know, that's why when I approached him maybe 15 years ago, he said, you know, I'd like to see a book in the classrooms. And that's the inspirational slant we took and thus, you know, life stories and lessons from the Say Hey Kid. Yeah, it does seem like a lot of his quotes, uh, obviously the listeners probably haven't seen the book yet, but it's mostly your writing with quotes from Mays interspersed throughout each chapter where he's addressing whatever broader topic is that you're covering. But a lot of them seem – it read like he was speaking to a small audience, like he was saying – essentially saying this is a thing I've learned or this is a mantra by which I have lived my life. And a lot of them – really came down to they they were not baseball specific in terms of their applicability but for him it was very much about it, my my interpretation obviously tell me if you disagree that it was about the job of being a baseball player where you are responsible for yourself uh, and your efforts are very individual but you were also part of a team and it seemed like that was incredibly important to him that recognizing the need for both of those things that he had to keep himself in great shape and felt an obligation to be there every day. And also, but that was as much an obligation to the people around him. And he felt like he had to do certain things or simply wanted to do certain things to be more a part of a team, more of a leader, 
of any sort sort of within the clubhouse or on the field, that that was always something that was probably towards the front of his mind. Well, it's exactly true. He, he was responsible for himself, but also responsible for his teammates. Alvin Dark named him the first African-American captain in the early 60s, and he put a lot of importance and pride into that and felt pressure, not for himself, but for others. And you know, there are stories of him maybe going to a place that he wouldn't wasn't planning to go just so that he could oversee his teammates and make sure they, they weren't out too late. And there are stories of, you know, him in the clubhouse uh, speaking with, with, with maybe some troubled players whose family life isn't all that good and trying to calm things down and have them focus about, you know, on baseball. And, of course, he was really an on-field manager. I mean, he's speaking with a bunch of former teammates, like Hal Lanier was the shortstop in the 60s, Chris Byer in the 70s. And both of them speak in the same language in that Willie ran the defense and speaking of Juan Marisol, Gaylord Perry, we had these three-minute meetings with Willie before every start, and he would kind of guide us. We we would tell him what's working in the bullpen, but he would say, okay, you know, this is where I'm going to play that hitter. I'm going to move the outfield this way and the infield that way, just so that they were all on the same page. And there were times when Marisol uh, spoke of uh, Mays kind of getting upset because Mays is playing one way and, and to the left center uh, side of the field, and then Marisol throws, lets this pitch get away to the – uh, you know, uh, up and away, and the guy drills it to the hole in right center. And, and so it's like these guys weren't just pitching for themselves. They were pitching for Mays, who was, re- in, in effect, their manager, their leader, their mentor. So he, t- he took a lot of pride in, in the fact that Mays, this is one of the best stats I, 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 I have in the book, 13 straight years he played 150 games. And most of that streak came before – you know, we went to 162 games in 1962. So it was during the 154 game schedule. So he didn't want to come out of games and mm-hmm. spring training. The managers at the time, you know, they, they often played to win and Mays played, you know, well into the game and he never wanted to come out of all-star games. He played nine innings, sometimes 10. So it, it kind of wore him out, but, but he thought that that was his job to make sure not only he was prepared every day, but this, his entire team. I mean, they only, one World Series, and that was way back in New York. But the fact is, the Giants had the best record in the National League throughout the 60s, and Marichal had the best record of any pitcher throughout the 60s. But they always seemed to finish second place. You know, they won they won a ton of games, but uh, uh, just appeared in that one World Series in 62 in San Francisco before the current team started winning in 10 and 12 and 16 and 14. So I thought the most interesting chapter in the book, unsurprisingly, it's the one that had the the at least a whiff of controversy in it is when and it's the one I will tell you I was waiting for from when I started reading too. Obviously mm-hmm. Willie Mays had to, you know, he came out of the Negro Leagues. He first and when he was still a kid, you talk quite a bit and he talks about how, you know, there was a point where he didn't believe playing in the major leagues was possible. And then his dad told him about Jackie Robinson getting to the major leagues. Okay, now it's possible. Now you can you can have that dream. That that path is suddenly open to you. Uh, But Willie Mays was not seen as uh, a leader on the subject of race during his playing career. And Jackie Robinson, you you talk about this at length, Jackie Robinson even called him out for not being as vocal about matters of race once Jackie retired and then wrote a book where he very specifically talked about Mays and just a couple of other players on that subject. So uh, talk to me a little bit about that specifically and how you felt, obviously you've, you've spent a lot of time with Mays. 
How does he view himself in terms of what he did or didn't do on the subjects of race and, and what? Because I'm especially curious, just, would he change anything? Would he have done things differently? I felt like you hinted at that, but there's, there's probably more to be said. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, Willie, born in 1931 in the Jim Crow South and the height of the Depression, and the, his mother's firstborn, his mother went on to have many more kids, but not with Willie's dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Willie didn't have much. He lived in poverty, but as he says now, he had all he needed, family, uh, you know, he was raised by his aunts, and his dad was around a lot, instrumental on the baseball side, but his dad worked a lot of jobs, so, he, you know, he missed a lot of time as well, but he had family, he had friends, he had food, uh, and he had fields nearby, and, and he said, that to me is all I needed as a kid, I didn't care about having money, and from there, he just made the best of all worlds, I mean, we're talking Birmingham, which is, you know, as Martin Luther King said, probably the most segregated city in the country back then and all the way until into the 1960s. And but this is this is, you know, in the 40s when Willie grew up, he played for the Birmingham Black Barons in the late 40s, 48, 49, 50. He was a teenage center fielder in the very last Negro League World Series. And a year later, uh, you know, after his final year with Birmingham in 50, you know, he's in center field at the polo grounds as a 20-year-old, a year out of high school for the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. So his dad always told him, say, you know, and, and by the way, he, he you know, didn't go to college. He, uh, you know, when he basically, baseball was his whole life, but his dad, who played the game as well, told him, listen, don't talk too much and just play the game hard and don't complain. And Willie took that and ran with it throughout his career and you know, he he got to the he went from you know the, the all black obviously negro leagues in 1950 and the next day after signing with the giants he reports to trenton uh, you know a, a class b league in which not only is the only black guy on his team he's the only black guy in the entire league so this is three years after jackie breaks the color barrier and willie is hearing a lot of the same stuff that jackie heard and of course jackie was told by branch ricky not to say much those first two years kind of what willie Willie's dad told him. So anyway, you, you fast forward to 1964, and Jackie Robinson, you know, who's already retired, uh, you know, he, he retired before the Giants and Dodgers moved, moved west in 58. So this is 1964, and he, he writes a book, and it's the, 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 the book was called uh, Baseball Has Done It. It was an oral history of baseball and integration, and he got all these ballplayers, black and white, to contribute and tell their tale and their history. And it was a fascinating book, but Willie didn't want to do it. And Jackie ripped him in the book saying, we'd love to hear from this young man. You know, and Jackie's claim at the time, he said, he's just, you know, not doing enough for the African-American cause. And, you know, these these were hurtful words to Willie. And it just, you know, we, we just believed it, you know, through the rest of the time. Um, said, okay, we, you know, Mays just didn't do enough for the black cause. He, he wasn't like Jackie or even Hank Aaron later in life, you know, especially when he approached and passed the babe, you know, in his final years in the big leagues. Um, so anyway, I, I, I just always believed that. So I, in this book, I, you know, I questioned that and I said, well, let's see if that's true. So I went to many people from Hank Aaron himself to 
uh, Frank Robinson to Joe Morgan to Maury Wills to Reggie Jackson to Bob Kendrick, the president over at the Negro League uh, Museum, to even Bill Clinton, who you know may, has has experiences of his own uh, throughout the you know '60s and the Civil Rights Movement. And I asked them all. I said, uh, you know, here are Jackie's words in the book. Are these true? And they all they all disagreed. They said, no, that's that wasn't true. We know Willie Mays, and we know what he meant to the black cause. We know what he meant to the civil rights movement. And they all had their own individual stories about how Willie would pull him aside and, you know, leave this game better than you found it, said Joe Morgan. That's what Willie Mays told me, and I lived by that until the end of my career. And, and things like that that, um, that shaped a lot of these young African-American players who played, you know, in the shadow and following Willie Mays. So I presented all that in the chapter and Clinton was fabulous, by the way. I mean, he, you know, his point was, you know, by the way, Clinton grew up in Arkansas. His parents buy a black and white TV when he's 10. And one of the first images he sees is Willie Mays darting across the screen. You know, years later, he becomes a president and invites Willie to the White House. They become friends and golf partners. And so I asked Clinton, who always said that Mays was his all time favorite player. You know, he, he said he, you know, he, he changed people's minds through indelible images. You know, it's not just the words you say, but the actions and the lasting images. And um, basically saying that Mays made a statement to these bigots who found themselves rooting for Mays and drawn to him because, you know, he was so magnetic. And he wasn't booed at Ebbets Field or Dodger Stadium. And, and these bigots, now hopefully they look in the mirror and ask, you know, why am I being such an idiot? So, so... So all these people said, man, Willie did a lot more than you think. And obviously, Jackie wrote this in 64 when Willie was still, you know, and, 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 you know, Willie adored Jackie. But, but, you know, Jackie had so many more life experiences by the time he reached the majors. I mean, the youngest of five children, he had brothers who mentored him. Willie didn't. He grew up in Pasadena, you know, mostly white teammates in high school, you know, junior college in Pasadena, UCLA, four Four sport uh, letter winner, uh, you know that's where he meets Rachel, drafted into the army, and that whole thing about refusing to sit in the back of the bus and court martial and acquitted and all this stuff. So, and then he goes to the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro Leagues, and then Branch Rickey signs. I mean, he spends a year in Montreal, so he he doesn't even get to the big leagues till his late twenties. You know, his twenty eight year old season, I think, and. Um, you know, plays 10 years and then retires and then writes his book. So um, Willie took offense to it, but never popped off and always admired Jackie and said, well, I did things my way. I think, you know, I, I, I did a lot. I tried my best. And, and, and all these people, you know, all these years later vouched for that. I don't want to go too far down a sort of political tangent, but you just reminded me too. One thing I found really interesting is that Mays seems to have real friendships with both Clinton and the younger President Bush also, who obviously at one point owned the Texas Rangers and himself is a very longtime baseball fan. You have photos of them together and he speaks very kindly of Bush. And I mean, that's somebody where I could see criticism of Mays. Well, how can you be friends with someone like that, given what he did as president, given what his political views were? And I'm not, again, I don't want to, go too far you know in, into just sort of down that specific rabbit hole but it seemed to me to be indicative of 
this is just who Willie Mays is, that he is somebody mm-hmm. who could be friends with people who have a, you know, who rests somewhere else on the political spectrum. And he could, you know, if you asked him, maybe you did ask him, I, I don't know, I'd be curious, but like he would say he likes George Bush, the person he disagrees with his political choices, because that just seems to be May's temperament. I'm trying to draw out what I got about his personality from what you wrote about him from what he said, that he was the person who in a clubhouse would try to be at least build bridges with everybody, maybe not be friends with everybody, but create relationships with all of the different people in the clubhouse, with the Alvin Darks of the world, where you tell some pretty damning stories about Alvin Dark. It just seems like that's who Mays was, and I guess probably still is. Yeah, I mean, the great uniter, the great peacemaker. Remember, he was the one who stepped in front of Johnny Roseboro before that really got out of hand after Juan Marichal, Juan Marichal clubbed him and uh, uh, put a big gash on the top of the Dodger catcher's head. I mean, that that story is famous and infamous for you know for years and years. But it was Mays who brought Roseboro you know back to the Dodger dugout, the only giant in the sea of blue. But you're right. Um, he he doesn't look at these guys as left or right. Just you know, I mean, like he says, the goodness of your heart. And it's like, well, well oh, I mean, is this real? Because I, I, um, I guess I was inspired by Charles Einstein's book Willie's Time back back in the '60s, where he where he sort of documented the five presidencies during Mays's uh, career playing career. And got into both politics and baseball throughout, and I thought it was great work. And I said, "Well, why don't I try to talk with presidents for this book?" And and in my day job at the Chronicle, if I'm leaving ten messages and five of them get back, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. But when I drop mm. Willie's name, I'm back <laughs> almost a thousand. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm I'm talking to Clinton for forty minutes about baseball and Willie Mays. I'm talking to George W. Bush for forty minutes about baseball and Willie Mays, and Barack Obama who I'm told is working on his own memoir, um, w- w- was told by his inner circle, he said, well, l- let's let's keep away from an interview. So what Obama did is tell his assistants, give this guy everything I said about Willie before and during my eight years at the White House, publicly and privately, which I assume they just record everything. So I had, you know, all kinds of transcripts. And of course, Willie, uh, you know, as he says, he says, imagine me, a kid from Westfield, Alabama, by the way, no longer going to town. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, all these years later, I'm writing on Air Force One with the president of the United States, a man of color, to the St. Louis All-Star Game. Mm-hmm. So uh, imagine Willie's life and how he felt, how far he came and the world came, the country came. So he was in his house. He's got all these great presidents, uh, great pictures of presidents, him and Willie, um, you know, Reagan and Willie you know, and Clinton and Willie and both Bushes and Willie in separate photos and you know, all the way back to, to Nixon. Um, when he was a vice president and uh, threw the first ball out at uh, Candlestick Park when it opened in 1960. There's Willie and, and, and Dick uh, talking on whatever subject they're talking about. So so he's always had this kinship with, with presidents. You know, the whole, you know, America, the 4th of July, Apple Pie, Chevrolet, Willie Mays, the president mm-hmm. of the United States. It, it all it all kind of hits home for him and me while while doing this. But they, they, you know, both Bush and Clinton, like I said, Clinton, but also Bush, who also grew up in the South, you know, claims that Willie Mays was his favorite player of all time. And that when he was a kid, he didn't ever want to be a president. He wanted to be Willie Mays. That's a pretty good goal. 
Um, unfortunately, there's only one of those. Well, I guess there's probably two, right? Mike Trout might actually have a pretty good Mike Trout is Willie Mays, right? Yes, he is Willie Mays. Mine is 22 years. Yes, I think Willie Mays had a better arm, though. That is actually one I'm going to dispute you on one thing. I think Mike mm-hmm. Trout is a four-tool player. His arm is just okay. Thing is, the other four wow. tools are exceptional, and he's like this great, this unbelievable OBP guy. Whereas Willie Mays, he might be the archetype of the five tool player, right? He did everything, and everything was exceptional. I'm going off video and secondhand reports too, which is we don't. And five, the five tool thing always gets me because fans want to use it a lot. Well, this is a five tool guy. It's a five tool guy. Often they're four tool guys, and they can't hit. Those are easy to find. I can find those guys. You give me a kid who's really good at some other sport and plays baseball as a secondary thing, he might be a good four-tool player, but he often can't hit. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research, developed by scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code KEITH, K-E-I-T-H, at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code KEITH for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code K-E-I-T-H. One of the things I thought was really interesting in the book, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and at least one of the people you spoke to mentioned it. So apparently, I've never met him. I've met a few old ex-big leaguers as, from that era. I've never met Willie Mays, but they all talk about how big his hands are, mm-hmm. um, which says something to me, too, because you talk about how much power he generated despite being a sub-six-footer. Like Maybe he just had exceptionally strong hands. That was always Hank Aaron's reputation, but it seems like that was probably a big part of Mays' game, too, where everybody keeps talking about how big this guy's hands are. Yeah, it was Aaron's forearms and yeah. Willie's hands. And I, I really got to psych myself up before every handshake with them. <laughs> early on, he caught me short, yep. and he just he just killed me. And I'm stuck there, and I can't move. And, and it wasn't, it's not a worse feeling in the world, right? You're caught short like that, and your fingers are all, you know, just, just crushed. So every handshake, you know, over the last few years, I just mentally get myself focused. And I go in strong. I say, hi, Willie. And then I'm, I'm proud of myself that he didn't crush me. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're massive. And if you, if you look at some of these old clips of him hitting, it's like his fingers are, like, coming off the bat at the end. They just keep wrapping around. And I always wonder, how, how, did you, how were you ever able to throw the ball? You know, because it's such a tiny mm-hmm. ball. Softball, I could see, but a baseball, sure. nine-inch. And, uh, and, and he said, well, that, that, was a, that was trouble early with the Giants. And they they gave me four you know they gave me four baseballs that I had to bring home every night and and work on different grips and throw and throw and you know and and just and then it became so clear and obvious that and natural for him every grip was the same it just it just happened I mean these guys the hand eye coordination but also the the hand to ball uh, ability to to get it in the right uh, grip uh, for every throw 
and it's like it happens so quickly you don't even see it but yeah it, that's 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 pretty amazing um and you, and by the way you t- you talk about the the five tools it just hit me when you're talking about trout mm-hmm. bonds too if yeah. it, it, people say he was a four to a five tool player well he didn't throw nope. like like these other guys nope. um and Mays, by the way, I was looking at some old clippings when the Giants signed him, you know, in, in a couple of the Birmingham papers. They said this kid could be a future pitcher, according to unnamed scouts. You know, we, that's what we did back, back then, too, unnamed scouts. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, uh, because he had such a good arm. And, uh, and, he, and he threw so hard. And obviously, he was, maybe he could have been like Marichal, throw from all, all angles. But 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 that's the argument when we hear Mays and, and Ruth, and obviously Joe Posnowski wrote the great series one through a hundred. And I woke up one morning and I couldn't believe it that he had Babe Ruth second, which means wow, tomorrow Willie Mays is going to be first. It kind of blew my mind because universally people will think, hey, Babe Ruth was better because a he pitched, and b he hit more home runs than other teams. Well, to that I would say, yeah but Willie played against African Americans and Latin Americans and, and the babe had inferior competition because it was just whites. You know, he didn't play against Oscar Charleston or these other guys, Satchel Page. He was not allowed to, or they were not allowed to play with him. So, and, and then, you know, he pitched, well, maybe Willie pitches, you know, if, if they, you know, what they say about his arm and, you know, maybe he would have been as good as the babe on the mound with his arm and his, his mindset. But his dad said, man, you're not going to pitch. You're not going to catch. You've got to play every day and you got to stay healthy. So Willie started play, said, okay, I'll play shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> My guest today has been John Shays, the national baseball writer for the San Francisco Chronicle and his new book co-authored with Willie Mays called 24 life stories and lessons from the say, Hey kid will be out on May 12th from St. Martin's press. John, congratulations again. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thanks. Yeah, I, no, I appreciate it. It was it was a great time. And, and Keith, I'm reading your book, and it seems like every time I come to a different chapter, and I'm not even thinking about this, but I equate passages in your book to Mays, because obviously <laughs> Mays is front and center. And, and it seems like, you know, all, all, uh, the, the, the uh, you know, the biases and, and, you know, whether you mentioned the heights, you know, he was only five, five, 10, he was listed at, but corrected mm-hmm. me, you know, in recent years saying he's actually five, 11. <laughs> and, uh, but let me tell you a quick story. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm reading the book and you know, the inside game by Keith law. <laughs> and there was a passage in there where you're at a baseball tournament, high school, I think with your daughter. And I can relate to this because I have a teenage daughter and, um, she mentions to you after looking at the roster, she says, dad, you got to be six feet tall to play baseball. And because like everybody <laughs> pretty much mm-hmm. on all these rosters were six feet and above. And you go on to say, you know, it's almost like six feet is this magical figure where you hundred RBIs, 20 wins, 500 homers, as if that's the milestone that, uh, that is really important. <laughs> and, uh, um, just because it's a rounded off figure, like six feet. And, uh, as we all know, you know, from high school basketball to high school baseball, if you're five ten or five eleven, the coach is usually just going to put six feet because it sounds better and scouts dig that. So, so as a kid, I grow up and, you know, you look at the back of baseball cards and Willie Mays, you know, five, 
180. And we just thought that was the epitome of the, the size of the greatest ball player ever. So we said, oh man, can't wait to be 5'10", 180. And, uh, and then, you know, because all you know, Mantle wasn't big and Reggie Jackson wasn't all that tall. And Mel Ott, all these guys, you know, sluggers of yesteryear, they weren't, you know, uh, Bonds or A-Rod or any of the guys from today. Right. So, uh, Anyway, I, I, I write the story about Willie one day many years ago, and I write, uh, I don't even know the subject matter, but I write that he's, you know, as, as a player, and his, 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 he was listed at 5'10", 180. And uh, I just thought nothing of it. And the next time I see Willie, he, he says, hey, John, that was a good story, but you made a mistake. And I said, oh, okay, what, what was that? He said, man, I'm not, I, I'm, I wasn't 5'10", I, it was 5'11". <laughs> and I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Here, Willie Mays is correcting me, and Baseball Reference has him at five ten, but they probably got it from the Giants media guide, which probably took it from old baseball cards that I saw sure. as a kid. And and from that day on, I always and in the book, he's five eleven. So I mean, if Willie Mays says five eleven instead of five ten, you know, all power to him. I'm sure that's right. But it was kind of cute that he didn't say six feet, right? Like, like he would be today. You know, this kid from Westfield, Alabama, he's six feet, you know. He'd be and, six uh, feet at every showcase, every oh. event. He would always get listed at six feet. I mean, I remember Dwight Smith Jr., who got to the big leagues briefly with Baltimore, and I think he was a Toronto draft pick. He showed up in an event listed at 5'11", and then they measured him, and he was 5'8 and a half. So there's a lot oh. of exaggeration going on. Oh, I remember Tim Lincecum when he was at Washington, uh, and, and then, you know, he, he, his agents get a hold of him. And then he's up for the draft, and the Giants pick him 10th. And during negotiations, his agents were saying, let's come six feet. But he was always 5'11 at Washington. Right. And, and, and I said, what, what do you mean six feet? Yeah, he's, he, you know, he grew to six feet. You know, so that's a well-rounded number, and you know, you're going to get more money, you know, bigger payday. So sure enough, they, you know, they, they give him his contract. He signs with the Giants. At the first press conference, I asked him, I said, well, Tim, how, how tall are you really? Because your agents say you're six feet. He says, says, wearing cleats, I'm six feet. <laughs> so, so I guess yeah. during negotiations, anything goes. Tim Lincoln yes. was six feet. Yep, absolutely. Oh, it's, it is I, – I would guess – it would be interesting to try to find a way to study this. I would guess agents would tell you there's money in being six feet that isn't there if you're 5'11", to which I would say, well, what if we use the metric system? Right? Does that go away? Six feet is no. Six feet is one hundred and eighty-two centimeters. Suddenly, that's not so round and impressive, is it? Oh, that's fabulous, John. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a great conversation. Congratulations again on the book. Well, my pleasure. This was great. Thanks a lot, Keith. That's all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. We should have quite a bit more to talk about in the coming weeks now that we actually have a draft date, a draft format. I don't like it. It doesn't matter. I still have to talk about it the same way, so I will do so. And we'll start to mix in some more of that, and I'll try to take draft questions on some of the upcoming podcasts as well between now and June 10th, just a bare month away. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. <laughs>